My name is Jesse Smith, co-creator of the Worldwide Dance Challenge. And if you want to define your life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am really excited to share this interview with Jesse Smith. Jesse was a professional dancer that had the opportunity to dance with stars like Justin Timberlake and Rihanna. He also was signed to a record deal through Universal. He toured the country using his passion of dance and music to inspire tens of thousands of youth and young adults. He now has turned his efforts to My Creative District, which is a talent development agency that helps creatives turn passion into profit. One of the ways he does this is through the Worldwide Dance Challenge, which features dancers from across the world in a dance competition. Jesse and I connected through Build Your Network Live, an event put on by my podcast mentor, Travis Chapel, and it's been amazing to be able to get to know him and hear his story and learn from his journey. And he talks in this episode about the struggles of thinking that you're at the top of your game just to find out that you're kind of the big fish in a little pond and then moving across the country and being in LA in the the big pond, for lack of a better word, and realizing that you're not as amazing as you thought you were. And I think we all go through that so much in entrepreneurship and life where we think we got it all figured out and then somebody teaches us that we don't. So it was amazing to be able to talk to Jesse and hear his insight and his definition of success and really talk about his journey. And I'm really excited for you to hear it. Before we do, I want to take just a minute to talk to you if you or anybody that you know is the type of person who feels like 2020 got away from you. You feel like your day's getting away from you. You start your day off and then you're putting out fires all day long. If you're the person who has a bunch of things you want to accomplish and you keep saying that you don't have the time or if you or someone that you know is the type of person that has the same resolution list this year that they had in 2017 and nothing's getting crossed off, I have the solution for you. My five-day masterclass on time management and goal setting is designed to help you understand how to set specific and manageable goals that are achievable and can move you closer to where you want to go in your life. It's also designed to help you understand time management techniques or self-management techniques because really, can we manage time? It keeps going with or without us. So I provide five days of content to help you really start to narrow down and dig deep to be able to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. And 2020 isn't over yet. I know it's October. We still have a couple of months left. So let's go ahead and hit this strong. If you're interested or somebody that you know may be interested, you can head over to fivedaychallenge.morethancorporate.com for more information. Enter the code MT. C at checkout for a $10 discount. I'm super excited to work with you and watch you crush your goals before we get to 2021. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Jesse. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a blast. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Jesse and I connected through an online networking group called Build Your Network. And then again at the Build Your Network Live. And I've just been watching what you're doing. And I'm super excited for all the stuff that's going on. Um, we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I want to go way back in your story and kind of talk about when you were, let's go like high school age, looking at what your life was going to hold. What did you think you were going to do? Well, whatever a band geek does, that's what I was going to do. You know, I was definitely an outcast, so to speak. I didn't hang with the cool kids. I definitely was a band geek to the max. I loved music. At the time, I was big into basketball, doing martial arts, um, all those kinds of things. But I always knew that, you know, music was this passion of mine that pushed me. Um, but it also was a good outlet for me because I dealt with bullying. I dealt with being rejected. I dealt with a lot of self-worth issues. So it was just a great way for me to deal with all of that. But, you know, I had this dream to, to be a musician. I had this dream to be on the big stage and more so for it was I wanted it to do, I wanted to do that because not only did I want to say that I was valuable, but I wanted other people to see that if somebody like me could do it, I wanted to be the voice for all the other people that felt like they were an outcast that they might not have got the recognition in high school that they needed, or they might not have been acknowledged, or they might not have, they might've been bullied and told they were worthless. But if I can do this, so can you. And that's really what my passion was early on in high school was just to be able to give a voice to the voiceless. That's amazing. And I think that it's really cool to have that insight so early into your life because you know, especially when we go through any type of bullying or anything like that, sometimes it's hard to see the overarching picture of how it affects everybody else and be able to be that voice for them. So I think that's really amazing that you had that insight so early. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd love to say that it was, it's what charged me and I had so <laughs> much clarity and, you know, the angelic beams were beaming on me uh, all the time. But the thing of it was, is that I, I think more so than anything, I knew I wanted it to be a voice for the voiceless. I knew I wanted to encourage other people, but it really did start with just wanting to prove that I was good enough. I wanted to prove that I could do this. I wanted to prove that, you know, the weird kids, the odd kids, the guys that weren't the jocks, the one that couldn't buy a date to save his life. I wanted to prove like that person could do it too. Yeah, absolutely. So when you left high school, what did you end up getting into? Did you go to college or, wh or what did you do? Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't a studious person, but I didn't do bad in school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college. I was definitely being encouraged by both of my parents. Both of my parents are, you know, my mom was an LPN uh, when that program still existed. And my dad worked for park maintenance forestry for the city of Duluth. And that's what he did. He did it that entire career, 35 years. It's what he did. And so my dad and mom both were always encouraging me, you know, got to go to school. It's great that you got these aspirations of being a musician and doing all this stuff, but get your head out of the clouds and have your plan plan B, right? So they wanted me to go to school. So I went to one semester worth of college. And the reason why I went to a semester of college for the program that I did was because my career guidance, as it were, they stuck me in a computer room at, you know, uh, in the 11th grade. Now this is going to date me a little bit back, but this is 1998, right? They <laughs> stick me in a computer room. Uh, this is the age of AOL and uh, dial up modems. And they said, go and research your career. And they had this program that we could research all these careers. 
And I came from a lower middle class family. I watched my dad always struggle with finances. My mom got into a, we got into a car accident in 1991 that permanently disabled her. So she couldn't work anymore. So we, we, my dad raised our entire family off of his income. And so it was, it was always tight paycheck to paycheck. And I said, I don't want to live like that anymore. And my mom said, Jesse, you'd be great in the medical field because you love people and you're great with working with people. My mom being an LPN had watched doctors treat nurses really bad. She was like, I think you should be a doctor and be the one that actually treats the nurse as well. So I went and checked out all these different things and I typed in medical field and I didn't want to go to school to be a brain surgeon because I watched, it was like 12 years of college. I'm like, dude, I can't even stand high school. I'm not going to 12 more years of school. But nurse, uh, the nurse anesthetist program was the average net income was $180,000. I was like, I can handle that kind of money. I can do that. I can do that. When we're talking 1998, $180,000. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, let's do that. So when I went to college, I signed up for the medical field route. And of course, nursing is the first thing you got to go through. So I was doing my CNA clinicals and they stuck us in a nursing home. Now, everybody listening to this episode that, <laughs> that works in a nursing home, my hat goes off to you guys. You are a freaking saint because right. the work that you guys, yeah, it's tough. The work that you guys do is amazing. And it was one of those areas that I walked in and you kind of like walk in and you immediately know I don't belong here. And um, I just, I hated it. And it, it just, it just wasn't for me. I spent three out of the five days that we spent in that program. I spent in the janitor's closet hiding because I didn't want to do the work. Right. Um, and so then I took the semester off of school and well, I'm still taking that semester off. <laughs> just been a little bit of a break, right? Just a bit of a break. Well, obviously what you ended up taking off led you to something that you were much more passionate about. When did you get into dancing? How did that all happen for you? Yeah, so um, I, like I said, I did, I did martial arts for uh, a while. I became really good at that. Um, but because I had, because I was bullied, um, I also had a lot of some, I had a lot of bent up anger and aggression. And so I became really good at martial arts and I really became good at picking fights. And so I ended up getting into a fight with somebody one time over something very stupid. And um, I hurt them very badly. It was at that point that I realized I got to be done with this or this isn't going to end well for me. And so I literally just made a decision to walk away from martial arts altogether but I still had this, like, I needed an outlet. Cause at that time, martial arts was my aggressive outlet, right? Music was good, but I needed something. I'm just a physical guy. I need something to hit or something to move. And I ended up going to a, a club in where I'm from. And it was one of those dry nights. I was 20 years old. I walked into this, this club and I saw these guys doing this crip walk stuff. And I was like, what is this? Now in martial art tournaments, I had traveled around the, the country and at almost every single martial arts tournament, there would be like an after party. And those after parties, they would have all these like big name martial artists break dancing. And I was like, this is freaking dope. And so that was kind of my introduction to dancing because where I'm from, dancing was like non-existent <laughs> unless you're a studio guy that's going to do jazz funk, right? Right. So I had kind of had a point of reference of seeing that. And I saw these guys doing this crip walk stuff. And I just walked up to them. I'm like, what are y'all doing? And they were super cool. And I ended up hanging out with them, you know, like every single week going to the club and checking out what they were doing. And then that's when I started to, um, because I come from a family that didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have MTV. We didn't have cable, right? We didn't have all these things. So I learned that Yahoo had music videos 
on there. Good so old Yahoo. Yeah. So I'd go to <laughs> Yahoo and check out like Usher and, and, and all these in sync and all these different guys and they're dancing. And that's how I learned how to dance. I'd go to the club to practice cause I couldn't afford studio time. And then I'd, I'd, I'd go watch music videos over and over and over again. And this was like, you load the video, go do laundry and cook dinner and everything else like that. And you just hang out on that video all day long. And uh, that's literally how I learned how to dance. Yeah. Um, so for everybody who's listening, who doesn't remember what it was like to try to pull something up on the internet in the early 2000s, um, you just <laughs> had to hope that nobody picked up the phone. You had to hope that, you know, you had to deal with that screeching sound. So you had to wear like earmuffs for the sound. Yeah, seriously, man. I think that when it comes to our access to information, our access to, you know, videos, the internet, all of this stuff, like sometimes we forget what we had to go through back then to actually oh, get the same information. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I want to touch on something that you just said though, because I think this is super, super important in every area that you're in, but especially like as we're trying to grow as people and entrepreneurs and anything that you're really in, you said that you saw these guys and they were doing something that you wanted to do and you liked it. And you just walked up to them and said, Hey, what are you doing? And they were really nice to you. And I feel like there are so many people that think, you know, this guy's doing something that I want to do, but I can't go talk to him. Like he's never going to talk to me. And I feel like that stops people from growing because they put in their head that this person is so far advanced that they're never going to interact with them. They don't want to hear from you. How do you deal with that when you are, because now we're going to talk about this worldwide dance challenge that you have going on and you are reaching out to some like stars when it comes to promotion to judging to all of this stuff how do you kind of bridge that gap when it comes to seeking people that are are more advanced than you in this journey so and this is where my sales background really served me so when i dropped out of school took my semester off so to speak i still had the desire to make money and i didn't want to be broke and the only jobs that were available were sales jobs that promoted a higher income and I had been selling, you know, since I was a little kid, I had my own paper route. I kind of always had this entrepreneurial spirit, being willing to talk to people, sell stuff. I learned early on that you're always going to have people tell you no. And what I want to make sure that I, I explain here is that I, it's not that I am okay with people telling me no. I, I still struggle with that all the time. I think a lot of people think that if you're a salesperson and you do really well, that you must be like this superhuman that doesn't fear rejection. That's not true. Um, I hate, I, I still have to deal with that right now. Right. And then so, but I did also learn through that time that not everybody is going to accept you. Not everybody's going to say, okay, but you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And so I was never going to close a sale if I didn't get a no, because the next, that no is going to lead me to my next yes. I have to go through the numbers in some regards. It's a numbers game. You ask enough people, somebody's going to tell you yes. And um, being in sales and learning that early on, it's not that I didn't mind rejection, but I was, I was, I was at least equipped to deal with it. So I, I at least had the mentality to know I can't get help if I don't ask for it. And, you know, if you say no, you say no, but I'm not going to assume no until you tell me. Yeah, I love that so much. And then I think that there's also another side to it that um, comes into play, especially when you're dealing with people, when you, when you get into this like elite level and you're reaching out to people who are sought out all the time is like, there's a fine line between respect. I want to learn like the way that you approach it and 
putting them on a pedestal. And I feel like people don't want to respond or engage if you come at them with like a lack of respect. And they also don't want to respond or engage if you put them up on a pedestal because they are so tired of people looking at them and thinking that they're superhuman. Like they just want to be treated like a human being. So can you kind of talk about as you are reaching out to people now, how you make sure that you're staying within those two things? Because I think it's a fine line. Yeah, it really is. You know, and I heard this on another podcast and I can't remember who said it. So I apologize for not quoting them properly, but they said, people want friends, not fans. And I, I a hundred percent resonate with that because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is when I was out in LA, you know, interacting with, with celebrities like Justin Timberlake and interacting with celebrities like Britney Spears, and you realize everybody's human. They all bleed the same. And just because you can sing pretty on the mic doesn't mean you're more valuable than the next guy that's got to market you, that's got to that's gotta set the stage for your, you know, your shows. I mean, the fact that Justin Timberlake or anybody else, for that matter, people want to go see their shows, their shows aren't phenomenal without the guy that's putting together the light show, without putting together the sound. Like, like everybody has a superpower and it's, 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 we're all human beings. And I think that's what you have to realize is that, listen, I might not have as many people know me as you do, but my value doesn't come from my performance. My value comes from who I am, not what I do. And so if you tell me no, doesn't make me any more or less valuable. If I reached out to any celebrity right now and they said yes to me, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am more valuable. Now I might be able to add more value to that relationship. That's a different mark, yeah. right? But that doesn't differentiate me as a valuable person. And I think that's where it starts. If you can realize that we're two human beings, we both have strengths and let's see how those strengths can interact with one another and be a benefit to the both of us. That's a different conversation than you've got a million followers. Nobody knows who I am. Thank you for listening to my message. Yeah. And that's super powerful for anybody out there, whether you're just starting out and you're reaching out to people that you think need your services, or if you're reaching out to people that you're trying to sell something to, like coming at it from saying, I know something that you need, you know, something that I need, how can we add value to each other instead of, like you said, um, I really need to make the seller. I really need to be associated with you because that's a totally different energy and people can feel that energy before you ever say a word. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes into play too. If you are networking with, you know, upper echelon people or people that are higher up in their level of experience than you are, I think is really getting clear, understanding what do they need, right? Because I just had a conversation with somebody about this just today. It's like, there's a difference between approaching a networking, because that's really what you're doing is networking. It's different from approaching a networking conversation from, I need this from you. You know, don't hit somebody up because they have more followers than you do, or because you're wanting to get that promotion deal with them, or you're wanting them to even be on your podcast, because that's all about you, right? It's what do you need and what do I have that helps you with that need? I'm just going to hit you up and say, hey, I know that you're dealing with this right now. Um, this is just something that I'm really good at. I put this together for you. Hey, uh, what do you think? And yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, when you approach it from that perspective, you're going to get more people's attention. And that's really coming from a friend versus a fan, right? A fan doesn't think they can help. 
a fan sits there and, and gloats and worships and all that kind of stuff. And it's not bad if you're a fan of somebody. It's not what I'm saying. But when you're approaching them, how can I add value to them to be a benefit to them? And that's just a different conversation. Yeah, I love it. So you mentioned Britney Spears. You mentioned Justin Timberlake. Like, At what point in time did your dance career take off to the point where you were interacting with these people? And what did that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I did my, my time in LA was kind of brief. It was just a little over a year. Um, and it was back in 2005, 2006 area. And, um, you know, I had worked, I had, I had really focused on my dance journey for about five years. Um, I went to an audition down in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, at that audition, there just happened to be pretty much everybody in the industry was at this audition. There's about 1500 dancers there. I got they picked top five males and five females to dance on stage. And I got to dance on stage in front of over 3,500 people or 5,000 people. And um, every talent scout was in the room, MTV, all the record labels, all the modeling agencies, all the dance agencies. And so um, I got scouted by Caribbean and Disney and all the dance agencies. And so I picked a dance agency, moved out to LA in uh, July of 2005 and, um, you know, started going to auditions and started to, go to the dance studios, Millennium and Debbie Reynolds and just network and synthesis and do all that kind of stuff. And, and by that, I started to get plugged into some of these gigs and I didn't do like the big tours, right? I didn't with the artists, but um, I got to do like, you know, commercials and guest spots and stuff like that. Which, and then also by being at, uh, I also was an intern at Millennium Dance Complex and that was where a lot of these celebrities would have their major tour rehearsals. So I would get to interact with them when they were coming in and out of the studio and, and getting to do all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was, it was a definitely a cool, cool experience, but that's really, that's really where I learned, oh man, you lose your patience just like I do. Like you do dumb stuff like I do, like you're human. If I cut you right now, you're going to bleed red just like I do. And that's when I saw the humanness and it, it kind of helped me because it, it brought it into perspective for me it brought it into perspective in the fact of it helped me deal with my own demons in coming from this place that I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worth it. I didn't feel good enough. And just to realize, man, we're all broken people and have some of the same issues. Yeah. I love that. The phrase that helped me out a ton, because when you move to Vegas, you get the opportunity to see like all kinds of different people and interact with with people that you may never, and especially even when you start a podcast, you interact with people that you wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to interact with. And the phrase that did it for me was, um, they put their pants on to one leg at a time, just like we do. Like there's nothing different about them. Um, and, and what I love about what you said is like this hustling, like, so you mean your dance career wasn't go to an audition get scouted and then make millions of dollars. Like there was this hustle that you actually had to do at studios and networking and like things like that. Like, I feel like there's such a misperception about that. Yeah. I got told a hundred times once I moved out to LA, I went to a hundred auditions before I heard my first yes. Wow. I heard no, 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 no. And I'll tell you what you start to get a really, I mean, it, it messes with you, right? It messes with you emotionally it messes with you mentally it messes with you on on all even spiritually like all the different levels and I just kept you know um what really helped me was I was having a conversation with somebody probably by no like 10 okay I was just like this is brutal and and you know normally you know I normally your highest of highs 
is going to be immediately, immediately met with an extremely low point. So I just went to Orlando. I had this audition. I had everybody. I mean, I was one of the known dancers of that whole thing, right? Everybody knew who I was and I made sure of that. Like I was, I mean, if there was a breakfast buffet line, I was dancing through it. I knew that there was scouts from everywhere. I didn't care if you were selling, you know, Jolly Green Giant Green Beans. I wanted to figure out how in the world you were going to book me for a job. And so I wanted everybody to know who I was and I was successful in that. And, you know, that's partially why I got up on stage, I think, is because everybody knew me um, within a shorter period of time. And so I started to kind of think, ha, I'm this kid from Superior, Wisconsin, doesn't have hardly any dance training. You know, I spent most of my dance training either in a club or in Walmart. And, um, you know, I get scouted by all these agencies. Everybody's touting me, telling me that I'm one of the greatest, blah, 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 blah. And then I come out to LA and I get served a severe dose of reality. Like, yeah, you were at an audition, homie. Now you are in the land of the professionals. Like, (laughs) You are one of the first dancers that my agency connected me with was a, a, a dancer by the name of Legacy. He won So You Think You Can Dance season six, um, you know, and he was, he is still known as one of the baddest mamma jammas that has ever stepped foot in LA. He was the type of dude that you walked into an audition and it might be a cattle call. And what I mean by that is there's, you know, 400 dancers there fighting for 10 spots and you got maybe 30 of them that are b-boys and that's what he was he was a break dancer he would walk into the auditions and you just saw the spirit of every dancer that was a break dancer go oh frick what am i here for he's got the job now and this and, and so but those were the types of dancers that now i was competing with yeah you know and so the reality of me of yeah you did well enough to gain the attention of some people and i thought because they signed me meant that I had arrived. No, they signed me because I had potential. Yeah. And that's a completely different way to go to, to look at it. And so when I walked into these auditions and met all these dancers, I quickly realized, bro, you're just another fish in the sea and you got some weight gaining to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and fast forward because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, Let's talk about what you're doing now because I think it's fantastic. What is the worldwide dance challenge? Where was the motivation for doing this and what's kind of your vision for where this is going to go? Yeah. So the worldwide dance challenge is um, a birth from a death (laughs) and uh, you know, COVID-19 happened and literally all my income as a sales consultant, coach, you know, speaker, trainer, pretty much got wiped out, um, you know, and in amount of three days. And honestly, I was on a, I was on a decline there because I was really not happy with my business. I had, you know, I, we just got done talking about LA, but really I had two major music failures. Um, you know, LA came home in 2006 with my tail between my legs as broke broken. Um, in 2014, I had to walk away from a music deal that pretty much left me almost in bankruptcy. Um, it was in tough shape, a really bad deal. And I had kind of thought that, okay, music is not for me. Um, dance is not for me. I must not be meant for this. And so I walked away from the industry completely and started to lean back into my sales expertise. And so me and a friend of mine took a failing business and 10x the revenue of it. And then we started a sales consulting business out of it. And it was doing well. We were doing well. We were known for being really good at what we did. But 
I was still trying to be somebody that I wasn't because I thought, oh, I needed to be this guy that, you know, nobody's going to want to deal with a musician slash dancer that dresses like he's 18, right? I still wear the ripped jeans and the long tail tees and all that kind of stuff. And so I was trying to buy these custom suits and do all this kind of stuff and just really be somebody that I'm not. And when COVID hit, I was right at the end. um, I was right at the end of, uh, you know, not being able to, um, not being able to, to stand what I was doing. And, and I had been going through this transition of really starting to understand that just because an area of your life doesn't go the way that you think it should, doesn't mean that it's not still meant to happen. It just might go a different way than you expected. So dance and music is a passion of mine. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's a part of my design, right? It's, it's, it's who I was meant to be. It's not, doesn't define me, but it's part of who I am. And so, uh, I sat down after everything folded with COVID and I said, okay, who do I really want to serve? Who do I really want? Like, if I'm going to do this again, like I got to rebuild this dumb thing again, (laughs) where, where do I want to be? And I just couldn't help it. I love the dance world. I love entertainment. I love dreamers. I love, and I'm so, I love helping other people find themselves, find their passion and, and to see their dreams come become a reality. So I was teaching online dance classes just to kind of keep the lights on, so to speak. Um, and I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine and we, within 45 minutes, we were like, Oh, uh, let's do this. And, uh, and this friend quickly turned into a business partner, Zach Knight. And he's like the dude that he, he glues everything together for me. I'm the, I'm the crazy creative that's got vision for days. And he's actually <laughs> the guy that executes everything. And so he was like, we need to come up with a, sh- we need to come up with two dancers and just test this out. And what went from, okay, how can I serve dancers? Well, dancers right now are without places to perform. Everything had been shut down. Dance competitions, you know, shows, World of Dance, America's Got Talent, all that kind of stuff got shut down. I said, okay, how can we serve them? Well, dancers love to perform. There's nothing more energizing for us than to get on stage and to share with you what we love to do and for you to applause us. Okay. Let's let applaud us. I, I, we, we do like the applaud. Okay. But, um, but at, you know, so I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Well, how can they get in front of people? Well, we can do dance competitions online, but people need to see it. So we came up with this concept of how to be able to do it and stream it online and, and on a website and get people to vote. And then what went from a dance competition slash fill some time turned into this movement where, I mean, we've already streamed in a matter of three months. We've already been streamed on 60 different, 60 different countries. You know, we've had dancers on four different continents. We've had dancers that have come on our show that have gotten paid booking jobs because they were on our show. And that's what this has turned into. We realized I'm not world of dance. I'm not trying to be. Um, I don't have that budget. I don't have that production. But um, I also know world of dance and America's Got Talent. A lot of those dancers that are on those shows have been at this for a minute. They already have a pretty significant following. They have representation. I wanted to find the dancers that weren't going to come to those auditions. I wanted to find the dancers that didn't have the means, that didn't have the belief, that didn't have the, that didn't have the ability to travel 
how can I go scour them and find them somewhere? And that's what this show really does is it goes to the ends of the earth, literally to find the dancer that nobody knows about and give them a platform to be able to help them showcase their talent and to turn this dream that they have of making dance like their life into a reality. Dude, I love it so much. And there's so much that comes to mind. I feel like I could talk to you about this for days. Um, but not only did you give yourself a way to rebound, but you also gave these dancers a place to come in a time where they couldn't get out and dance. Because when you started Worldwide Dance Challenge, we were all in lockdown. We were like, we were social distancing, bars weren't open. And yep. you gave these dancers a place where they could show their creativity and where they could get that out and probably saved a ton of like depression medication for dancers. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I definitely know that, you know, as a dancer myself and even, you know, we've been spending, I've been spending the last three months just interviewing dancers and, and getting into their, you know, their psyche and understanding what are they dealing with. And, you know, and it's always fun to be able to do that from an outside perspective, because I knew what I was dealing with, but you know, not everybody thinks the same behaves the same. And so learning how to serve them better also is something that we've been learning, you know, through this process. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, as a creative and as a, as a dancer, we definitely process through those things, uh, through tough times, through our, our movement, through getting out there and just performing. And so, um, I, I know that we, we had several dancers that were on the show that were like, you don't know what this is doing for me. You don't know how this is helping me with the current times. And also with just like an audience that, that wasn't getting the dance intake that they wanted to, right? They, they couldn't watch dance and they couldn't see some of the same things that they liked. And even parents not being able to witness their own kid um, doing the thing that they love to do. So we we're, we we're being able to help so many different people um, just from getting, you know, getting outside of the box and honestly not being afraid to fail because we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Before we move into the success element of this podcast, why don't you tell everybody where they can track down the worldwide dance um, challenge and where they can connect with you in that element if they want to um, figure out what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So you can check us out on worldwidedancechallenge.com. It's where we have all of our episodes. Um, we stream all of our episodes live on the website, uh, but we also stream on Twitch. We also stream on Facebook. You can find us on, you know, Facebook at Worldwide Dance Challenge, Twitch at Worldwide Dance Challenge, YouTube at Worldwide Dance Challenge, Instagram at Worldwide Dance Challenge. So we're all, all those platforms um, and also TikTok as well. So, I mean, you can pretty much follow us, find us on any of the social media platforms and find out what we're doing. That's awesome. And you guys should go check it out. It's amazing. It's, it's really raw, which I think is different from like most dance shows. Like you watch, you mentioned world of dance, you mentioned, you know, America's got talent. Um, so you think you can dance. All of these things are so polished. There's productions, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that gets cut out before we see it. This is just raw human connection through the world of dance. And I think that it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun even to see like where some of these dancers are dancing. Like we've had a dancer that straight up his laundry was right in back, dirty underwear, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's just the realness of where everything was birthed from. So it's definitely got a unique flavor in that respect. I love it. I love it. Well, really quickly before we wrap up, this is the more than corporate podcast. We talk about success. So I'd be doing everybody a disservice if I didn't ask you, what is your definition of success and how has that changed for you throughout your life? 
Man, that's a really good question. The definition of success, if you had asked me that in my 20s, would have been a million dollars in the bank and not being have to worry about finances. I think success now is first finding out who you really are, embracing that, and not being just okay with it, but loving it and being grateful for it. And once you come from that place, living 100% in that authenticity and doing whatever you love to do from that place. Because I, I found from, from my journey and you know studying the journey, journeys of other people through my mentors that when you really come from that place, the finances follow and the success follows, but it doesn't happen until you're 100% happy with yourself. And I think my first realization of that was when I was in LA and I went to a party with a guy um, this guy was, uh, you know, in, in, in Bel Air, had this huge mansion, cars through the wazoo. His cars were worth more than his house. And his house at the time was, I think, over $8 million. And he just had a 1,000 people in his house for this party. And literally that night, after everybody cleared out, I sat and talked with him for two hours on how miserable he was. He had all the money. He had all the girls. He had all the fame. He had all this stuff. And he was miserable. And it was at that point that I realized, crap, if you can have all this and still be miserable, that's not success. To me, that's miserable, right? To me, that's, that's failure. That was when it really dawned on me that I need to first be okay with myself and love myself and really be, be grateful for who I was developed to be, who I was designed to be. And from there, the success follows. I love it. Well, I normally do a quick random round at the end of these interviews. I'm going to skip that in the sake of time because I know that you have um, a commitment to get off to. I do have to ask you one question that's in my random round though, because I feel like it wouldn't be right to not ask you. What's your <laughs> pump up song? I feel like I have to ask the musician. what. Oh their man, my pump up song. It, that's so tough. It's probably going to be really, really odd. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big man of faith. And so I, I uh, listen to a ton of worship music because I do worship music uh, for my church. And there is this group called Planet Shakers out of Australia, and they have this song called Dance. And it is like the most overproduced worship song you've ever heard (laughs) in your life. But it is so dope. And I like get so jacked every time I listen to it. So it's on my it's on my like morning playlist when I'm like taking a shower and stuff like that. I, I just love it. So that is the farthest thing from what I would have expected you to say. <laughs> and this is why I love asking this question. So, yeah. and, and I think it's very fitting that the name of your pump-up song is Dance with everything yeah. you have going on. Yeah. Jesse, I would love to have you back on. We'll do a more in-depth interview when we get you back on. Worldwide Dance Challenge is going to explode. You guys should be a part of that now. It's already exploding. But thank you so much for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. No, it's an honor. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.